Hello and welcome to the Orthopraxis Podcast. With me today is Robbie Timi. As always, I'm James Affairn. And we are launching on another series. We've come out of the summer ramblings and we are tackling back with all of these practical ways that we can live our lives. And we initially took this particular tack for this particular series, kind of an inspiration off of our episode on history a little bit. And we've been discussing, exploring a couple of things that we're talking about during some ramblings. And one of them kind of got a bit too big for a light ramble. <laughs> so, and then we're like, okay, we need to do a whole episode on this. Uh, and that was, that one is specifically what the heck happened in the eighties <laughs> to everything. <laughs> and then we started looking at it and we're like, you know, this is more than just like the eighties. There's like been a series of these things that have been happening. And now we're back at the beginning of time. <laughs> we're going to be looking at epic changes, epics in a new time period that is definitively different in some way. And we're going to explore yes. all these different things that have changed how we do stuff practically. But why yeah, are we, we have doing to, we've that? We've decided that we need to back up a little yeah. bit and give why you some, some more. Are we talking about this on orthopraxis? So it's all about practical things. This thing's very heady, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Um, but <laughs> as people who have maybe listened to our podcast notice, we kind of try to transition between heady and practical. Yes. And one of the things that's really important is that realizing that ideas have consequences yes. and that having changes and changes in the way that the world interacts is really important for understanding your place and understanding how you should interact. Cause in reality, the way society changes is just a, a conglomeration of how individuals have changed. Mm. And trying to figure out and trying to see, okay, so how should I interact? Is there something that is new that works better? Is there some, was there some change mm -hmm. that makes an improvement that was like a return back to the way it was supposed to be? Mm -hmm. Or was this a turning away from important things and did we leave something behind that we should try to go back to? Yeah, that was one of the things I've been talking about a couple conversations recently about how a lot of times in in the impetus towards progress, there are unintended consequences that leave behind certain fundamental pieces of society. And because we, and once it moves past living memory, you never think about it because you never experienced it. You never saw that. Oh, this is how people did things. It just never crosses your mind because you don't know that that you don't know that that's one of the options, right? And so, right. It's looking back at history and going, oh, people used to do this. That's interesting. What effect did that have on their lives? Oh, well, that was a bad thing. I'm, I'm glad we left that behind. Or oh, that was really good. That was actually helping solve these particular problems. That hey, would. Who'd have thunk it? We're struggling with these things right now. Maybe if we reincorporate some of these older things that got left by the wayside, we can actually improve and solve these problems that we're facing right now. We can go look back and learn from the past in that way. Exactly. And there was a lot, and like in the homeschool community, especially, there's a lot of this looking back and trying to take stuff from the past and incorporate it. Mm. And but there's always there's always dangers and there's yeah. again like we always say there's always going too far right yeah there's a ditch like, on both sides of the road right because <laughs> you can't like rewind the clock you can't completely turn back progress you can't undo you can't time travel so it's right. not a matter of okay this progress was bad and so we need to throw it out or you know just reject everything new everything modern um, what you, right. What you what you do, what you can do though is learn as best we can. We can't step all the way back into the shoes of people who came before because we're solely fixed in our own time. But we can look yep. back. We can see and try <laughs> and get an idea 
of what we can learn from them and then see what we can do now that incorporates uh, a more a better understanding of what happened before creating something right effectively oh and that's actually kind of been like interspersed throughout all of our talks is when we like talk about like exercise or we talked about like the banquet and ball and all that is Mm -hmm. we there was something good in the past and we're trying to find a way to replicate that in the present to improve our daily lives but like you were saying we we can't inspiration from the good the true and the beautiful in the past to create something good true and beautiful now exactly the whole idea of learning from history those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it and actually that's going to come up as we go through this particular starting episode Mm -hmm. is realizing that a lot of these changes are actually when people started learning from the past or when they stopped learning from the past Mm -hmm. the the concept of forgetting what came before you often leads to one of these, what we're going to call like epoch changes of all of a sudden everything got much worse is when they decided that the past is dead and you should just move on. That was all just superstitions. Right. (laughs) Or whatever it was. (laughs) Or we have a new, the idea that we have a new and better way of understanding the world is um shockingly overrated (laughs) yeah yeah as it says in um is that ecclesiastes or proverbs um there's nothing new under the sun that's kind of the theme (laughs) of ecclesiastes yeah (laughs) yeah the theme of ecclesiastes is oh wait yeah 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 god hasn't changed how the world works Just something to There's bring just, mind. There, there are new it. ways of expressing bad old ideas. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. So, and there are also new ways of expressing good old ideas. True, exactly. So yeah. just because it's old doesn't make it bad, but just because it's new doesn't make it bad either. Right. The, uh, which is something that you um, bring into play here um, is that while we're looking at these different epic changes – uh, these big fundamental wide sweeping shifts uh, in various ways. Some of them, you know, change the very fundamental workings of spiritual reality, like the incarnation that changed a lot of things. Um, but on the whole, human nature itself typically doesn't change that much. At least, yes. Um, the fall, right, or the falls, and your theology. Uh, changed a lot about what it means to be human but we still stayed human right uh right and so on like you know christ's coming instituting a new age uh, donning a messianic age and things like that a lot of things changed like magic stopped working which is crazy but a lot right. of things shifted right and that changed a lot of different had a lot of ramifications in society uh, as a whole but we're still people we're still human and that there's a lot of continuities that come alongside those discontinuities so the important thing in these explorations is that we'll try we'll try to balance those continuities and those discontinuities and play them against each other to try and discern what we can learn from those particular periods and say what's the same and what is different because there's a lot of fallacies that come into play and they, oh, all, yes. all, 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 they all kind of fall into the head of chronological snobbery. Like you're saying, Ravi, about, you know, it's not bad <laughs> exactly. because it's good. It's not bad because it's old. Like there's, there's, there's a lot more that comes into play. But you can't just completely reject out of hand anything that any argument that has to do with time. Because you have to look at, well, why is, say, the appeal to novelty or argumentum ad novitatum i'm not good with latin so that's probably i probably butchered that pronunciation anyway um i I didn't have quite the posh voice well enough for it anyway um that's true you need a more british voice (laughs) british are the most latin anyway (laughs) welsh welsh because then it's almost british but not quite (laughs) um but yeah so appeal to novelty for example if you say well here's a new thing and you say, well, this is better, right? And now you look at this like, well, why? Right? You look what specifically about it being new is making it better, and then see how that actually what it might be fallacious or not. Just because something's new 
doesn't mean that you reject it out of hand. Like, well, all new things are bad. That would actually be, you know, an appeal to, to tradition in a sense. Um, you either fall into one or other yeah, camps. Yes. If you just only just try and apply it across the category, you need to look at what un- is underlying the decision about whether you want to trust something or not. So for example, a nice simple one, the appeal to tradition, right? Now you could say, well, appeal to tradition is a fallacy. So therefore we can never appeal to any tradition in any circumstance. Like that's no, that tradition is very important. <laughs> just, right. Tradition is very, very important. Um, but there are reasons why we do, but the important thing is the reasons why we do what we do. Exactly. And so, any good tradition is going to have those reasons. <laughs> exactly. So a false appeal to tradition, the fallacious way of looking at it, would be if you assume that this particular old way of thinking was proven correct when it was introduced. Like, well, it was popular, so it must have been right. Like, well, no, there's a lot of popular things now that are not right. So that could have happened then right. as well as now. Uh, so you want to actually look at, well, why was it considered right? And was that valid or not? The second one right. is you could assume that the past justifications are still valid. Like there's this the story of the gal who was learning how to cook uh, turkey for Thanksgiving from her mom. And mom said, you know, when you get the turkey, make sure to ask the butcher to chop off the end of the turkey. Right. And she was like, well, why? I say, I don't know. That's just that's just that's just a proper way of making the turkey. Like that's that's this is how my mom told me exactly. to do it. <laughs> so she's like, hmm, interesting. I'm gonna go ask grandma. So she went and asked grandma and asked grandma's like, wait, why do you chop the end off the turkey? And she was like, you know, actually, I just grew up doing it that way. That's how my mom told me. Well, thankfully she still had her great grandma around. So she went and asked the great grandma and says, Why do you chop the butt off the turkey? And she says, Well, my pot was small. <laughs> It didn't exactly. They're not using the same pot. They're not using the same turkeys. They have very different sizing uh, uh, cooking implements now. Larger ovens and everything. (laughs) That tradition was no longer valid. (laughs) You don't need to chop turkey anymore. So it's important to know the why. (laughs) But as a counterexample, like we were talking earlier. the creeds, yes. Like the the Nicene Creed, specifically the the, Ni- the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. Yeah, right. There were two whole councils. These that were, were right. These were established for a reason, and what they're talking about, their subject matter, hasn't changed over the years because God is still the same God. Right. Who God is and what He has done has not changed over the last two thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> or you know anytime. <laughs> right. Forever. The whole it, immutability thing is, yeah. uh, is a thing. If it was true then in, you know, 350 or so AD, you know, then yeah, it's, he, he's still, he's still, he's still true now. We, we, we can bank on that. So that's, that would be a Correct. valid appeal to tradition to say, well, they established this, they did a great job and uh, we don't need to change it because they did it. it, it, it it's done. We can we can work with that, um, right? And now this might be where I differ a little bit. Is I'm you can still check it out, but what you, the important thing is is to understand why they agreed on what they agreed on. Yes, which will make they, they, and that's important because then it helps you with think, other concerns. Right. One of the important things about learning about his learning from history is learning about how wise men thought in the past. So you can be a wise man yourself. Exactly. The whole idea of Proverbs is Solomon is talking to, is telling his son, hey, learn from me like I learned from my dad. This is the way of wisdom. Yep. And if you learn from this, you'll be have a better life than we did because we had to learn these things the hard way. If you learn from us, you don't have to learn these things the hard way. Exactly. Which is great for dealing with heresy or when you're dealing, (laughs) trying to find out orthodoxy is because guess what? Almost all of these, anytime you hear someone who has a new original thought, (laughs) probably is just rehashing an old heresy that somebody has dealt with in great detail in the past. (laughs) Generally, if you think you have a brand new idea about theology, uh, you're probably wrong and you're probably also heretic. (laughs) Yeah. 
This is why there's such a horror of theological innovation in orthodoxy. <laughs> right. Like, this is this is not a good thing. So um, on the other hand, there's also this tendency that the inverse of chronological snobbery of to appeal to novelty is like, well, there's this onward progress, this bias toward progress, and we're so much better and more enlightened now than we were then. Even that, even that phrase, we are so much more enlightened, you know, came from the Enlightenment when they were saying that there were dark ages. Right. Now we're bringing back the light of classical Greek paganism. Which exactly. Is anyway. Because <laughs> that worked really well the first time. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, right. The, the, uh, the, uh, the ideology that Christianity crushed. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, there's this, there's this, there's this kind of this idea of people really pushing for well because it's new it must be good and of course advertisers really love leveraging this one nowadays. Um, oh uh, yes. Well, there's a, we have a, a brand new model or <laughs> a brand new color or here's a new um, they all put, uh, appealing to our urge to be an early adopter. Right. Right. Every year, there's a new cell phone with a new thing oh that God. is... And that now the previous is, one is absolutely intolerable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you carry around something that is over a year old when the new thing is already out? Mm-hmm. What do you, some form of Neanderthal? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, there's this really cool list of the specific dysfunctions in the appeal to novelty uh, that I found on Wikipedia was actually very helpful. Um, And what's cool about it is that just like with the appeal tradition, you can, you can look and say, okay, so this something is new and you can, if it doesn't meet any of these underlying problems, it might actually be good because it's new. You can actually explore each of these different things to figure out whether it actually is a new and better thing. So one of them is Mm -hmm. uh, what is, what is the motive of the change are they actually improving function or is it just simply an aesthetic tweak right so is it just a new variation um is it just like a cyclical change like they're just constantly coming out with rehashing new stuff like in the fashion industry there's like there's nothing actually new about it they're just rehashing old stuff over again like hey it's new again like what (laughs) right um (laughs) And then there's the population dynamics, what it's called, which is like when you, who the person who's creating the new thing might actually not be as good as the previous person. Like the previous product might have been made by an expert. And then now you've got some neophyte in there dinking around with things <laughs> and like, hey, here's something new. And like, actually, that's perfect. Um, <laughs> right. Um, that's not new. That's stupid. <laughs> One of the other considerations is fallibility, because when you build something new, um, you might actually end up with something that is inferior because it hasn't been tested well enough yet. <clears throat> right. A lot. As a programmer, <laughs> this is inevitable. <laughs> yes. Uh, there are always bugs. <laughs> um. There's also differences between like what is being improved. Is it is it a, a general improvement across the whole, or is it like a very specific thing that I got improved? And was there something else that might have been it might have had been improved to the detriment of something else? So like you may have improved one feature, but then you might have had to have dropped a couple of features in order to make that work, or so on. So you got to look at that, make that decision, right? And then also cost. Like it could be it could be new. Um, and the old one could have had a better return on investment for purchasing it. Like say, you know, this is a car that is better than the previous car, but this car also is like, it's like two times better, but it costs 10 times more. Like that's not a good ROI. Exactly. <laughs> right. So you got to take all these right. things into consideration when you're exploring something new, which is one of the things that we need to do with this. Cause a lot of these epics were positive. They were good. They were awesome. Um, they brought a lot of great stuff in. Uh, and we want to learn from those, but we also want to say, like, well, what specifically improved and what might have gotten missed? So if you added a new feature, but dropped another feature, how can you incorporate that old feature back in, in some other way, for example, but we're talking about, right. you know, societies and cultures, not widgets. So it'll look. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. The whole and that's kind of the whole concept of if you ask, if you look at the why and you look at 
the reasoning behind it. And that's a lot of what we try to do here is we look at why we do what we do. What, what's the important part of what was done or what is done and examining the why and the how, and does it actually achieve the goals that it was put forward to do? And just, there's always, uh, there's always the desire to just go with the new thing because it's new. And also there, again, with advertising and stuff and how society works, there's the fear of missing out. There's this enforced ideology that says, if you don't have the new thing, you're missing out and your life is going to be worse. Even if it's just the new color of the Coke can or whatever, the new logo of whatever, if you don't have that, you're missing out, which is sometimes literally the only thing that's changed. It's like new look, same flavor. It's like, so why? (laughs) But it why is because it works because it plays to our vanity and to our desire to be better than our neighbors and just examining those decisions and looking at, okay, why is this important? What, what makes this different than what came before? And is it changed for the better or the worse? And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at in broad general terms is, okay, what changed? We're going to be going through history and we're going to be looking at, okay, what changed in these particular areas? What's the difference? Why is this dip categorically different or where's the shift that happened here? So that's kind of what we're going to be going through in these episodes is, Okay, what's what's the change? What's the thing? Where? What is the shift that occurred? And what can we see past that shift? Yes. So we've got in in this first episode, we will explore some of the biblical epics that we see in that history, um, and then we'll in future episodes we'll explore some other more recent historical ones such as, you know, 380, anyway, um, <laughs> and so on. And we'll kind of go through and, and come closer and closer. And eventually we'll wind up at the 80s. And then after that, possibly too. We'll see. Um, right. <laughs> this is the long roundabout way of figuring out what the heck happened in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> because we refuse to do the easy way. <laughs> it's, all, it's all that, it's that joke about somebody asking you about something and you go, in the beginning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I need to give you some background. Oh, In the beginning, great. God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, basically, um, that's the first epoch. Um. <laughs> Actually, yes. Uh, history categorically shifted. Well, okay. It that, that's the, right. <laughs> history happened <laughs> in Genesis chapter one. There was no time and then there was time. <laughs> <laughs> this categorically shifted the way everything stuff not and either. things yeah because yeah i was like it's, it's not necessarily interaction because there was no interaction between stuff and things before yeah, that exactly. there yeah. was no stuff or things to be interacting upon each other so right. yeah, yeah yeah but you do the interesting thing you can see this as an example because like say you've got that that, that big epic shit but then the sixth day Right, you've got yes. the creation of man. This is another um, epical shift because you had animals before. You had places. You had places for the animals. And the animals were in the places. All these different things. You know, you had angels that were created because you see they talked about how they were. Um, they saw the foundations of the earth being laid, and they shouted for joy and so on. So the angels were created somewhere in there. Right. Um, uh, the fathers actually debate about exactly when. Um, my bet is actually uh, along with the stars because there's a lot of stuff tied in with that. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, uh, but then when, when man was created, there's like a pause, and then stuff happens. Like, okay, th- th- these are not just animals; these are not just another critter. Like everything here was built for this point for man to come in and do stuff. Right? They're given dominion over what's right. already been created. They're given a command and so on. So there's this big epical shift. And then when you look at it thereafter, all of the real, all of the rest of the epical shifts have to do with mankind. Right. Whether instigated by mankind 
or um, inflicted upon mankind. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so on. Um, are all built there's a there is a definitive shift in the oh, what is it called the because for the first time when man when Adam names the animals we mm-hmm. have someone other than God working in the narrative yes yes God has um delegated yes some of He's his authority onto this Adam man with his creative role yeah right and he's given he's categorically different from the animals because in him is the breath of life yep god has breathed life into him something that is different and separate from what the animals have yep <clears throat> right and that's that's clearly the first epic change and it was a really good one like god it, explicitly says this is very good so yes right um, <laughs> you could even argue god saw that he had made and said this is very good. <laughs> and then you can break this down really granular, like, you know, the creation of woman and all this kind of stuff. We, 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 we won't go, we won't go super deep into the weeds of that one, but otherwise um, we would never get done with any of this, we never get done with which any is, right. which we're already approaching that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. As we were going through the planning stages of this, we were like, Hey, this could be one. And that could be one. And this could be one. You could also argue that this is what, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So, Moving on from that first positive one, then there's these three negative ones. Now here's now this is this is pardon me, Robbie. This is orthodox bit. Um, uh, this is only a really I had never heard of this before. It's really fascinating. Um, but we and I because I grew up, you know, answers in Genesis, Ken Ham, all that seven C's of history: creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. Right. So there's there's that Sounds corruption. Right, there's yeah. that that singular fall of man, that first sin, right? And, you know, expulsion from the Garden of Eden and all this kind of stuff, right? And that, that was the fall, right, in the singular. So evidently, historically, and in the fathers and whatnot, there are actually three falls that are listed in okay. 1 through 11. And different fathers will focus on one or more as the preeminent one. Not to the exclusion of the existence of the other two, but is saying this this was the big one because they're focusing on that pastorally in that particular homily or issue or whatever, right? Okay. Um, so this is really cool. Uh, so the first one is the introduction of death um, by Adam's sin, right? That was they now are mortal. They have been cursed. They're clothed with mortality and they're evicted from paradise where the tree of life is and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, For as an Adam will die. (laughs) Exactly. What's interesting is, is that the second one is corruption by sin via Cain. Which initially you go, go, "Eh? didn't like Adam sin? Is that the kind of the point? It's like, well, yes. It's not saying that Adam didn't sin. Right. Um, But sin entered the world through Adam. And then after that point, they were no longer innocent. And then there was this wrestling and conflict over sin. That's where you see with, with Cain, God talking like, you know, sin is lurking at your door and wanting to rule over you. And you have to master right. it. Right. Right. This tension. Right. So the archetypical sinner, like the person who pursues after, seeks and propagates sin is Cain. And his Cain so her. Cain is the first case we see of sin that entered the world through Adam. Right. Taking control. Exactly. And you see that okay. in, his, in his lineage. Sin ruling over him. Sinful things the... happening and all this destruction and whatnot. And so um, you see death and then you see sin, right? As as that, that second fall of mankind into this proactive generative sin um, corruption, right? The third fall is the fall of the nations into league with demons and being subordinated to them. That's where the Nephilim and the giants and the tower of Babel and all those pieces are all of a piece. So this is uh, what Genesis eight, I think is that Th- correct? This is all, this is kind of all the way through um, Noah 
um, and the flood and the Tower of Babel kind of all right, eight through twelve, I think. Yeah, if, the genealogy. If memory serves me correctly. <laughs> uh, so the idea is, is that the that the people as a whole were giving themselves over um, to these corrupt acts with um, fallen demonic entities. Um, and had given up worship and submission to God to worship and serve and follow after these got these um, other gods, the, you know, the demons that were um, seducing them and so on. And those were all tied up together. Um, and it's a whole complicated subject. I recommend Laura Spears podcast for more on that particular topic where the giants came from and all that. But um, yes. this is the third fall. Um, and in fact, uh, um, Irenaeus and Irenaeus in the second century, this was the one that he said was the big one. That was the most important one. That was more important than death and sin. Like Babel and the flood and all that was more important than the expulsion from paradise for him, which is fascinating. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so what's, what's really cool about it though, is that in Christ, in the um, incarnation, he kind of like fixes these in reverse order. So you okay. have him defeating the demons, casting them out, expelling them, binding them, etc. Right? Reasserting uh, and taking back um, authority over the nations um, as the ruler and king, becoming the king, right? Um, spiritually. And then you have him um, dealing with sin on the cross and the resurrection and whatnot and conquering death, right? And death right. is still like the last enemy to be defeated as well. So like there's this, there's this like this, the, the final piece when you all get back to paradise is that final destruction of death type of an idea. So the gospel is Christ coming and conquering in vict and being victorious over uh, demons, sin, and death. Those three, right? Basically, because those are the fixing of those three specific falls, effectively. As we Interesting. Come iteratively into it. And you see that like, you know, in, you know, Romans one, it's got like this, this succession of giving over and then giving over and then giving over and falling down this spiral degradation. It's the same kind of idea. Right. But yeah, <laughs> so that's, that, that's just like a, an interesting model of this. Right? Each of these is like an epic of like shifting, like, you know, death has been introduced and then now sin has taken over and now the demons have taken over um, and God has to, you know, wipe the slate clean with the flood, which is, you know, that was a huge epic shift um, geologically, <laughs> culturally, and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. Reset. That would definitely fall under the epic shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No matter which way you cut, no matter what way you slice that pie, it's going to be, that's going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the same thing with, you know, the Tower of Babel, with the confusion of the nations and the languages and the spreading out over the world, was what that was a huge epical shift as well. Um, and these were all interplayed, though, with mankind's um, rebellion against God in various ways, uh, resulting in God dis distancing himself from us um, in various in various ways. And then you see Christ coming back in to try and heal that rift effectively. Um, it's like the narrative of history. Um, yes. So, yeah, so those are, those yeah, are a few and the whole idea of Jesus, of Christ in himself healing that rift and in himself exactly. exactly like through his life through his incarnation he showed his dominion over those things yes and he Precisely. finished it and sealed it on the cross and in the resurrection yes and also finally defeating and also, also in his descent into hades um correct in the grave etc yes yeah the yeah the def the final defeating of the corruption that had come into the world. Yes. And that's where we end up. And now we're living in the, I, I'm sure there's a term for this in orthodoxy, but the already not yet phase. Yeah. The where Satan's sin and he death have already been defeated. Yep. But they are actively being fought and conquered by the church. Yes. Yeah, so as the church, spreads, which is why the gates of hell will not that, prevail against the church is because reality over the world. Yes. Correct. So that was a yeah, huge, like, again, huge epical shift of, you know, the coming of the church into the world to spread that. So like, um, as another jumping ahead, really far ahead in history to Christ, because everything points back to Christ, right? right. Um, uh, Surprisingly, Christ. us being Christians, us being, you know, Christ followers, we're kind of big on the whole yeah, Christ. Yeah, kind thing. of funny how that works. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's one of the things like an orthodoxy, uh, that's the reason why 
we don't eat kosher in that way. Even though we, we have a continuation of the law, it's changed because of Christ and how he did. So like the technically speaking, we still, we actually do eat kosher still, but there's no clean and unclean animals because all has been cleansed by the coming of Christ. He atoned for the entire universe. Um, everything has been cleansed. So there is no distinction anymore in that way. Right. There's nothing else common or unclean. So we right. the whole yeah. God talking to Peter. Uh, yeah. He's not saying the rule is bad or changed. He's just like, I have cleansed these. Right. Right. You know, right. He's saying you do that. These like, are well, now clean. Don't call what is clean unclean. Yeah. What what, what I, I have, have changed the nature. Yeah. Right. I have changed their nature. I have redeemed them, basically. Yeah, exactly. Which applied to the Gentiles as well. Yes, Praise God, because that's where we come from. The Holy Spirit is <laughs> not poured out on all flesh. And so there's not all of these distinctions um, and whatnot in the same way. Right. So. Uh, what is that? Ephesians chapter, second half of Ephesians chapter two. Uh, broken yeah. down the wall broken of separation. Wall of yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so going back to like, uh, I mentioned the, uh, um, not just the cross and the resurrection, but also, um, going down into the grave, uh, we have a whole icon for the herring of Hades, um, where he went down into the grave and rescued the saints that were there who had been waiting his return, um, at that point and brought them into paradise. Yeah, and so like the very fundamental workings of the afterlife changed at Christ, even, um, which is a huge epical change. Um, they were brought up, and so that's why I see in Revelation they're now sitting sitting with him, right, um, and so on. Whereas in the prior to that they were you know in Abraham's bosom, which is like a different thing. So there's a fascinating um, big shift there that happened as well. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a lot of really cool epical shifts uh, there. But kind of going into like, those are like, you know, massive cosmic shaping epics. <laughs> right. Uh, which obviously have a lot of implications for yeah, how life changed. Everything. Like, so much, so much. Um, like, we think of like paganism as like these little mini religions running around different people worshiping different pan pantheons and whatnot um with their own little bibles and whatnot like no that's not what paganism there, there was basically only one religion ultimately before christ um right. there was it was just paganism that was just a thing and they each had their local deities and then as like empires conquered and took over different areas they would subsume those local deities and you would end up with a pantheon basically kind of roll together um, right. But yeah, everybody basically had the same idea of how worship worked and how you negotiated with these spiritual entities, how you worked to, you know, manipulate them to try and dodge their wrath and bribe them into being nice for you and so on. That was just how it worked and it was brutal and evil. Um, but being able to break free from that like that's why you know i watched um uh the northman uh which right. is a fantastic movie and it like it, it was it was almost evangelical <laughs> yeah. um because it was like wow i'm really glad christianity won because right. like, this is a, a raw no holds barred depiction of paganism as it was and in right. all of its the brute facticity of evil um, yes <laughs> and being able to say ah yes this is what christ was conquering this is what christ was liberating us from from this toxic drama and all this kind of chaos and bloodshed and bringing it into the peace and hope um and the joy and the healing that's in christ uh so that was a huge shift and so now and then you know in christianity then you get like schisms off from that um that and then as you know magic dies away you end up with materialism rising and you end up with i'm jumping ahead of myself down the series you know um but you end up with like atheism and secularism as effectively come about because of christianity there were there was no way that those would have risen without christianity um and so you, you could even you, you could call atheism a heretical schismatic branch of christianity even 
<laughs> sorry, not sorry, atheists. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to be wrong, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's a whole thing of like these really massive epical things. But you can like zoom in and look at some other epical shifts in history um that are kind of zoomed in on you know the history of um the world you can see that with like the uh this just now came to mind but you see this in like daniel with um the the image with you know the head of gold being the empire of babylon and like the sequence of these different world empires right the transitions between those are epical shifts yes historical epical shifts where where those who are effectively running the world in a strictly human and physical sense are shifting. Or even, or even, or even spiritual. I mean, you see right. that in well, the angels, I, how God gave them dominion and so on. I kind of see it as a, like a continuation. Mm. Like this is clearly the human, the anti-God, the demonic empire. This is the rule of the heathens. And that, at least I see that as one continuous thing. That's why it's one, the one statue. Is these are all different forms of it, but it's all one, th- one thing. Mm-hmm. And there's control of it being passed around, but it's still one statue, one yeah. empire rising up and trying to yeah, crush... Because the narrative there is like, yes, you have these big, huge shifts and distinctions of these different empires, but then the real epical change is the coming of the mountain carved without hands, wiping the entire thing and covering the entire earth. Like, like (laughs) when all you have there is the statue, the statue made of all these different things, Mm -hmm. the big difference is, oh, look, that one's made out of bronze, and that one's made out of iron and clay, and that one is made out of silver. And then it's like, okay, so these are the big differences in the world, right? Mm-hmm. But then God's like, no, actually, here's the big difference. <laughs> <laughs> there is only oh! one empire, and it is mine. Right. <laughs> the difference is God rules over the affairs of men, and God is going to conquer and is going to destroy. Like you mentioned, he's mm. going to destroy the rule of Satan. Yep. He's going to destroy the kingdom of hell. Yep. Exactly. And he's going to overthrow the rule of man, the rule of sin, sin, death, and hell against us. Yes, that's that's the epical change, which is so cool because that's Christ is that rock. Yes, and it's it's epic. And then it grew into a mountain that covered the whole earth. I think, if I remember correctly, which yep. is the church. <laughs> exactly, because we are the body of Christ. Right, which is epic. <laughs> so cool oh man alright so some of the other we can also look at like the history of Israel as an example so like, people of God so they're pe- so this is our history right yes um, and so you look at the first big ethical shift is really you know Abraham um, um, because you look at you know, this is like carries on directly from the fall of nations because all the nations went corrupt before God and turned after and served the um angels um instead of God and became uh corrupted in that way. And so instead of God going out to go and say, Okay, I'm going to take one of these and turn them back again, uh, he created a new nation from scratch. So I'm creating a nation for myself. Uh, and that was Abraham. Right. And that was the beginning of Israel. And it wasn't so much like, and Abraham, you know, this was, you know, a tribal period and all that kind of stuff. He didn't quite have enough to be a full nation himself during his lifetime. Uh, yes. Or even with the 12 patriarchs going down in Egypt. Um, but this was the seed. Yeah, they were the seed. And there was the promise of a nation. So they're treated as yes. in that way. Um, but that was a huge epical shift. Yes, um, because guess what? Now God had a people. God yeah. had a specific people that he called his own and that he said was going to create a great nation, a great and mighty nation that right. could not be numbered. Exactly. <laughs> so God's made a promise that this is where we're going. 
Yep. And he's going to bring them there. But that doesn't happen until the first Passover, uh, which is, you know, the coming out of Egypt. And it says explicitly um, that God um, set, made a separation between Egypt and Israel um, at that moment. And that was the, gave the first laws to Israel. That's when he brought them together. And then afterwards, like, recapitulating, um, in a sense, that uh, event through the, the um, Feast of Passover, or Pesach, was how you became part of Israel. Um, that's why you know, circumcision, which was the covenant given to Abraham, was the requirement for you to be able to partake of Passover and um, be part of the nation of Israel. So like you're following on these two epic changes in a sense, like <clears throat> there's before circumcision and after circumcision in history and in your personal life. And then there's also before Passover and after Passover in history, as well as in your personal life. So like, it's like it's these stages that you recapitulate in your own journey um, into the people of God, which we still do um, with baptism and uh, communion or Eucharist. This is the same, same thing. Right. Um, which is, you know, before Christ and his death, and then we enter into that death uh, and bring that, that personal. Um, and then uh, there is before becoming one body with him um, in the Eucharist and then after, just like with um, his sacrifice. So it's the same thing. Um, so that was a huge epical shift, uh, shifting into the identity as an actual proper nation and so on. Mm-hmm. We also have, you know, uh, some really interesting ethical shifts along that journey. You have entrance into Canaan. You have the shift from the judges to the monarchy. You have the splitting of Israel, the monarchy. Um, you have all these different, you know, you know the, the carrying away of the Northern tribes um, by Assyria. There's the captivity of Judah by Babylon. There's the return, um, the building of the second temple, um there's uh, all kinds of stuff you know all these different huge historical moments uh that are tremendously significant that change every piece of the fabric of daily life for your right. average jew um at each of those points that you can explore in various ways yeah and all of these have a different like slightly like different applications and there's so mm-hmm. much in them that you can look at of the of the change and what brought it about and what mm-hmm. what practical effects it had and there's so much to look at to see these changes and yeah it's so it's so fascinating when you start looking at okay what were these changes what were the differences like one of the most stark ones in my mind is specifically the transition. I don't remember if you mentioned this, but between um, Joshua and the judges. Oh yes, I actually did not mention that one. You're hundred percent right. Um, but that was that, that was that's notable. one. That's one of the most notable and stark ones in the Bible because it's actually called out in mm-hmm. in the scripture. Let me see if I can pull it up really quick. So right at when joshua dies uh let's see not this section because this is caleb ah chapter judges chapter 2 verse 10 and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers this is the generation of joshua mm-hmm. and there arose another generation after them who did not know the lord or the work that he had done for israel and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and went to other gods from among the other gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them and provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to, to the plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of the surrounding armies, so they could no longer withstand their enemies. And just that shift, mm-hmm. that categorical shift of 
when Joshua and the generation that had seen what God had done to bring them into the land of Israel, into this new land, when that generation left, the new generation didn't know God, didn't know what he had done, and they refused to look back and see what their fathers had showed them. This is going back to what I had mentioned earlier about the whole issue of living memory, right? Like, yes, out of when something is out of living memory, you often don't notice what's missing. It's a blind spot for you culturally, and you don't realize, like, well, this is an this is how we do things, but then there was a different way, and you don't even know that that's an option. And it's right. Not. So if you're not passing that on, if you're not traditioning forward in a healthy, good way. Um, it, you get these disjunctures and the next generation doesn't hold to those experiences that are supposed to be passed on to tradition. That's, not, that's the point of tradition is to pass on these experiences. Um, right. So, yeah, a, a similar one to that is, you know, in a smaller scale uh, with Joash and. Uh, yes. Yes. Because you, you see it explicitly called out there, too, where. He's doing all these great things. You know, he became king when he was 12 or whatever, but like or seven, we're getting mixed up. But right. uh, and he's fine. As long as the high priest was mentoring him and was alive and helping guide him and everything, everything went great. But when Jehoiada finally passed away, like what is like 136 or something like that, he looked really old. Um, <laughs> um, that's when things he started going awry. And he got, you know, uppity and started becoming arrogant and all kinds of other stuff went went, went, went foul. Um, but it was like, he'd been relying on that mentorship and he didn't take it on as his own, right? He was following that advice, which was great, but he didn't internalize it. It didn't continue with him. And that's so critical. You need to take that handoff. You can't just trust in a person to keep pushing. I see this in Toastmasters clubs, or we said in, in Banquet and Ball too, I talked about this in the last episode on Banquet and Ball about the importance of that transition from one generation to the next, where if you have it, if it's just focused on a particular individual and they leave and the culture collapses, that I mean, that there was a dysfunction in the ability yes. to tradition properly. You need and to actually hand it on. Yeah. And in judges, you see that again. Um, so some of the judges, it says after the, after the, during this judge's life, they had rest for 40 years. And then after this, it fell right back in. And one of the interesting ones is actually Gideon. Because the mm-hmm. the country had rest for 40 years while he was around. Right. But as soon as he dies, there's yeah. a civil war between his sons, basically. Yeah. And you see that in the judges constantly. Like You see that it, it calls it out. Like, here's the rise and right. the, the ball. Like, they, they get in trouble. That person dies. They forget about it. And they get, and God, you know, brings them under oppression so that they can remember them. They go, Oh my goodness, I don't like this. You know, maybe we should, maybe we should call, call the God again, like bring somebody in and right. helps them. And then they fall right back in again as soon as they leave. Right. But it's interesting because usually in judges, it's like, I think it's generally there's like 40 years is the time, which is right about when you end up with that generational shift yep. where the people who are now in control have were not there and during the or do not have it are past it is passed out of living memory yep because you still have some older people who will remember it but generally the generation that is vital and out there and taking control mm-hmm. doesn't and the ones that's who are talking when, the loudest what the ones who yes. are talking the loudest yes <laughs> Yeah, and just the lack, when you lack that consistent through line, which, again, ties into the whole point. We want to find that consistent through line. We want to seek that. That way we don't fall into these traps that we're constantly plaguing them. Yep. Because, again, like we mentioned, this is the way that the world works. Mm-hmm. And we know how us as fallen humans as people who are affected by sin and death work and we are trying to combat that to bring it under dominion and under obedience to christ right and that's part of our calling the personal application of this whole episode um in this whole series really is like we mentioned at the beginning about 
looking back and seeing what got left by the wayside. So we can try right. and figure out how to reintegrate what is healthy, what is good, true, and beautiful. Um, and that's basically saying acknowledging our weakness as humans, like we need tradition. We need to, we also acknowledge our weakness and our failures to perpetuate the, the good traditions. Um, and so our practical responsibility personally is to always be looking back and saying, which traditions am I supposed to be holding to? That's what faithfulness to Christ really is in so many ways, is being faithful to him and his community, to his church, and looking back and saying, okay, I have responsibility for looking to perpetuating what I have forward, but I also have responsibility for looking back to pick up that baton in order to pass it forward. Right. Right. So being able to look back and say, okay, well, oh, that, that, that one's getting dropped there. Reach back, pick it up, save it from the ground in a sense and say, ah, we, we need we need to carry this one forward. It was a critical part of our lives um, you know, as humans, but as Christians. Yes. Being able to take what God has given us, take the history and the background and the lessons that he has show, given us and our heritage Mm -hmm. being able to pass it on but also being able to look back and see where parts of that have been dropped along the way and reach back and pick those up too yep yep so just that i don't know the idea of having the idea of being focused of looking to the past and to the future but not being stuck in them yep is super important because again, that leads to those two fallacies we talked about at the beginning. Some mm -hmm. people are so focused on the past that they refuse to look at the future or even at the now. Mm -hmm. And all what they those are the guys who end up always look talking about the good old days, the back mm -hmm. when everything was much better. And I remember and all that. And they aren't doing anything about changing now. Mm -hmm. All they're doing is about complaining about what they used to have. Yep. And then there are some people who are so like, focused like, on the like, like someone saying so even further, like with, with the Amish, um, right? They get locked into a very, very specific period, and they refuse to move forward at all. Um, it can it, it can make an idol out of a certain like a, a certain an ethnicity, a particular culture, a particular way of life, and make that an idol instead of looking through that to Christ. So see, that's the other. Um, yes as well yes and there's also a danger in only looking forward mm -hmm. because then you will never learn these pro these problems you will never you will become the generation yeah. who forgot the lord and did not know what he had done for their forefathers and you're constantly re recapitulating old heresies over and over, right. over, and over. exactly <laughs> God created us with the ability to look at the past. He we have memories. We have right, and in, and in fact, He commands us to. Throughout the Pentateuch, we see God, and even throughout all of the Old Testament, we see God setting up reminders for His people. Mm -hmm. That way, when they look back, when their children see this, and they ask, "What is that there for?" You will tell them of the great things that God did for you. Yeah. And we have those too. We have the, like you were saying, the Eucharist. We, we have these, the baptism, the Eucharist. We have these. The stories of scripture. We have our right. stories of our saints. We have all these different things. That point us to what God has done and what he has shown us about how he's created the world. So we can look at those and then look forward and it's our job to continue and carry on with those. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I think we actually successfully made it through the entire episode without making it go three hours long and dive into every single possible <laughs> episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There were a lot there where I was like, ooh, we could talk about that. And I was like, ah, no, 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 no. Restrain <laughs> <doing> yourself. <laughs> <laughs> No rabbit chasing today. We're, we're on a schedule. Minimal rabbit chasing. Minimal <laughs> rabbit chasing. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, next time we will launch from uh, the 
grand epic of Pentecost and the the uh, birthing of the church as such. And we'll look forward through the last 2,000 years instead of, you know, four or so thousand years of what we just covered today. <laughs> we'll um, start grinding our way forward toward the present day. And it'll be a fun journey. I, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts, uh, your explorations. Uh, if you have any ideas for a particular uh, historical turn or shift that you'd like us to try and cover, let us know. Um, yes. And uh, all, as always, you know, join our Discord, join the discussions, tell us uh, what you think, what your thoughts are, and we can uh, explore together and um, make more discoveries about how we can uh, live and glorify God in all aspects of life. Yes. And as always, so like, whether you hear, et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you guys. We really appreciate that you take some time out of your days to listen to us talk. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Amen. <laughs>